what we realized is actually many of the successful projects were built in the bear market and and the founders just persevered yeah this episode of untold stories is sponsored by bing x and angel block you'll hear more about them later on in this episode Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. What is up? I am your host, Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching another epic episode of Untold Stories. We're together twice a week. Actually, this week it was three times a week. We put out three episodes this week. There's just so much going on. We get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders, entrepreneurs, investors, those who are leading the charge, those who are building the the infrastructure to support. Uh, Lately, I've been uh, enjoying speaking to a lot of the product builders in our industry. Uh, we've been talking to to the CEOs of some of the largest companies in the space. There's just so much. It feels like we're getting so big. And as we get into this new season to the end of 2022, into 2023, one cannot help but wonder, like, what's next? What's next for us? Are we going to be these niche little crypto communities that exist on crypto Twitter? Are we going to be communities where policy is set on forums and on Reddit? Or are we going to move beyond that? Are our technologies going to demand us? Are DAOs going to actually have voting turnout? We talked to so many different DAOs lately, and it seems like some of the biggest problem as we see in the real world is that a lot of people just don't go out and vote or they don't want to vote on very complicated things. So new blockchains that launch that want to be decentralized need to take a step back and ask themselves, hey, what about my validators or my miners or my stakers who don't want to be involved in the day-to-day? How do we maintain decentralization? And to answer all these questions and more and to go over some really cool topics, we have my awesome guest today, Victor Fisher. Thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories. How's your weekend? Great. How are you, Charlie? Oh, it's amazing. Uh, where am I this weekend? I'm actually in London, and it's beautiful. We can walk around. There's a actually speaking of London, um, there's a new new UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Um, it's, it's a pretty big deal because he's been quoted all over uh, crypto Twitter and everywhere else about being very pro Web three. He tried to get the Royal Mint in the UK um, to mint an, an NFT, and he's been probably he'll probably uh, be seen right now, at least, as like the most pro-crypto, pro-Bitcoin uh, prime minister of one of the, uh, you know, the largest countries in the world or whatever. So, I mean, what do you what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, more and more we see countries, especially in Europe, being pro-crypto. France also is also a great example. Oh, yeah. Right now, Crypto.com headquarters is in Paris. Binance as well, European headquarters is also in France. So UK is just another example. We have a um, large part of our team. We are now 34 people. Large part of our team is in Prague, Czech Republic. Also very pro-crypto. If you all remember, Trezor was actually the first hardware wallet before Ledger. It was also created in the Czech Republic. I'm very excited about Europe. You are the managing partner at the Rockaway Blockchain Fund, uh, overseeing the onboarding and growth of early stage blockchain startups, if we go over to your website and look at your portfolio, you guys um, not only have multiple funds, but you've invested in so many different companies and projects over the years. 
that we all know that go from trading to DeFi to infrastructure, NFTs, Wintermute, Solana, uh, Bitcoin Suisse, um, Uniswap, Shit Compound. I mean, you look at, you go through this list. What's the background? Oh, we have a mutual investment in the Pocket Network too, as with my fund, uh, Drew Investors, uh, Drew Adventures. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. So, so we now have three divisions at uh, Rockaway. One is VC investing, where we manage around three hundred million dollars, and we are also a fund of funds. So we invested into twenty-seven funds, ranging from you know the likes of. Multicoin, One Confirmation, Verify, Polychain, Pantera to A16Z Crypto. So that's that's a fund of fund section. We also have a direct investments where we have, I think, 35 investments currently, mainly seed Series A. We are seed investors in Solana in March 2018. Then so that's one VC investing. That's one division. Second division is a liquid hedge fund, but it's a market neutral hedge fund generating 13%. Initially through DeFi, that was our assumption, but now we have mostly basically CFI lending as our core strategies. It's fully regulated fund based in Liechtenstein. And then we have an engineering division where we do smart contract audits. We run, you know, staking validators. We also run RPCs for pocket network. Uh, we also have lab section. We develop apps like observatory.zone where you can see the centralization of Cosmos ecosystem. We do a lot of stuff. You guys really do do a lot of stuff. I mean, what's your, what's your, oh my God. I have so many different questions and directions I want to take it. But where, when did you guys enter the the Bitcoin and crypto space? So personally, I started in uh, 2015. I left McKinsey and Company. It's an American Mm. consulting firm. And then... I started to work from home, but working from home, I'm not efficient because, you know, there is TV and family. And just down from my apartment is Parallel Police Institute Institute of Crypto Anarchy. And maybe some Bitcoin OGs know it. It was the first coffee where you could only pay with Bitcoin. They started in 2013. So in 2015, I went down from my apartment and they actually had like a co-working hub. So I said, okay, I want to rent like one month here, a desk. How much is it? And they're like, yeah, it's uh, one Bitcoin. One Bitcoin back then was like $300. Yeah. I'm like, oh, what, what is this Bitcoin? So thanks to them, I bought my first Bitcoin actually initially on a paper wallet. And I was like, there, wow, this is so cool. And then we actually, actually started investing in like 17 during the ICO boom, 18 we did Solana and some, some other um, less successful protocols, I would say, as we were learning. Sure. And then in, and then June 2020, we launched the we launched the fully fledged fund. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Really interesting. So you guys launched during uh, basically like you you caught the tail end of a bull market, and then yeah. you launched full fledged in this bear market of 2017, 28 or 2018. Yeah, uh, you had some successful and some unsuccessful ones. Um, what did you learn about the successful ones that came out of the bear market? Yeah. So. We could not have a worse timing, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so when we we finally had some warehouse investments initially, so we had like Solana warehouse, and then then we said, okay, let's create a fund, and we sent our PPM private place memorandum to our potential investors in February 2020, saying sign by March 2020, and then oh the pandemic God. happened. So our first close was 6.5 million dollars. That's all we could raise. 
it's all 6.5 million dollars you know management fee of two percent like you know it doesn't even pay you salary of one person yeah yeah it's not <laughs> so i was like i was so depressed <clears throat> and then actually and then some of our investments like in addition to solana like Vega performed uh, successfully. Was able to 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 launch their their network Agoric as well. And then what we realized is actually many of the successful projects were built in the bear market, and and the founders just persevered. Yeah, Hayden of Uniswap was actually he wrote the white paper in seventeen and just continued building in eighteen. Uniswap is actually one of the perfect examples of companies that were built in the bear market. Coinbase was launched in the. I mean, almost yeah, some of compound. the largest. Yeah, many of many of the successes you see today were actually launched during the last crypto winter or built and, during. The and last as we're winter. in one now, and a lot of my listeners are either working for uh, some of these companies or startup founders themselves. Together, we're trying to like figure out of the past like few months. Uh, I've been trying to figure out with 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 the listeners like what. Is it the founder? Is it the idea? Is it the product? Is it a speed thing? Like, is there a common denominator that helps make some of these projects hyper successful during the bear markets? I think it's the founder and the founder's team and the fact that they just want to persevere. They just believe so much in their product and they are not in for the money. They are in for, you know, the vision and the revolution they want to bring. Being in, in crypto now, like 13 years myself, I can't help but wonder, are there still entrepreneurs left who just believe in the vision, who just love this for, for the equality, for the distribute, you know, for the redistribution of, of equal wealth, for the, you know, the, the equal playing field, the bringing out people from disenfranchisement, all these like really positive things. Are people in it for that now? Absolutely. And um I actually think the bear markets are good because it clears out of tourists yeah. <laughs> and we see and we see less you know just copies of like another amms for example we are leading the round to three world three moons uh you can google it three world three moons it's a fantastic team of authors of comics books and you know they were drawing and creating comics books of thor and uh, superman and others and they said like NFTs, blockchain, and tokens are just completely changing their industry. Yeah. And because of the direct distribution, so they can cut out the intermediaries who are like taking many fees, number one. Number two, through like NFTs and tokens, the, actually the users, the readers, they can change the story a little bit. They can even use the play to earn business model because they can create a character, an avatar in that comic story, and then potentially sell it through a marketplace. Just completely disrupts the current business model. And comics, you know, versus gaming takes like five years to develop a triple A game. Takes six months to create a comics book. So it's a faster, shorter go to market. Hey guys, we've been talking about Bing X for the last few months. Super cool social copy trading platform where you can trade all sorts of cryptocurrencies, follow other traders, see their historical uh, uh, averages, how they've been doing and you know, follow or unfollow different people and all their trades 24 seven. And what's cool about Bing X, other than the, the free money, which I'll talk to in a second that they're offering just to my listeners, but they also offer this super cool strategy that's like a spot grid. And they just launched like last week, this 
how do I explain it? A really, really cool strategy that now that I understand it, it's called an infinity grid and it's designed to avoid us missing out on the trending market when the prices start to run high, especially when we're not trading and we're not sleeping. You should go check it out. All the links are, are below. And don't forget, they're also offering a 125 USDT new user reward. So if you're a new user, click the link below, uh, go to Bing X and you get that free money. And on top of that, if you try out their social uh, uh, trading uh, platform and the different copy trading, if you lose $30, they're actually going to repay you back those $30. All the information is below. Check them out. Thank you guys for sponsoring the show. And thanks for my listeners for, for helping uh, our sponsors out. Thank you. How do you guys invest? Like I'm a, so I'm a VC of a fund. Uh, we're a lot smaller. We have like a, um, uh, an investment committee. We're a $13 million fund. But we have like our thesis and we invest in very infrastructure, pick and shovels, you know, um, things that I've been personally investing in over, over the course of my life. How do you invest in multiple sectors? And then how do you, do you like help, do you create partnerships between all the different portfolio companies? So we are now 34 people, so relatively large team, and we split the responsibilities by verticals. We have uh, four verticals. Trading, where we put market makers like Wintermute, we invested. We put also exchanges like Bitcoin Swiss. We have a DeFi vertical, like, I don't know, um, Friction, for example, the options protocol on Solana or others. Then we have um, Web3 and gaming vertical, and then we have infrastructure vertical. But I would say we are also an infrastructure investor because even three world, three moons, their ultimate vision is to create the platform. It's to create a protocol on which other authors could, could create comic books. Yeah, even Farcaster. Yeah, Farcaster is a social network, but they have um, their vision is to have a, is to have a protocol, a platform. I like what you said about the direct distribution part because some of the yeah. um, I'm in the I've been in the film industry the past two years. And some of, one of the things I noticed is that you can, same thing with comics, you can develop a, a screenplay, you can make something beautiful, whether it's a film or TV show, but at the end of the day, the distribution is still owned by like three companies. All the Netflix and Hulus and the Amazons and all the networks in the US at least are owned by like three different hedge funds. And so the distrib- there's no direct distribution. And so like all the rights and the NFTs and the artists and all those people that are involved it all has to get sold to like one company and you lose all the rights. So you can't do that. Yeah. But with comic books, uh, you're buying like the artist. So I really like what you yeah. said. I should be looking at also businesses where you have like end-to-end distribution from beginning yeah. from the product. That's very, very, very yes. interesting. And I think it's the common denominator of, if you think about it, like all the crypto projects, yeah? Like even... Why we were so excited initially by crypto is because most of us are born in Czechoslovakia, which used to be a communist country where you just could not travel outside of the border. You could not send money easily to someone in the US. You could not actually go to university or open a bank account if your parents were not part of a communist country. Yeah? I was 12 when communist regime was finally over. And, I'm, and, and, you know, it just changed our personalities forever. It's like ingrained so deeply in us is that right now, you know, with just 
you know, a, a simple wallet, like, I don't know, an Unstoppable Finance wallet on your phone, you can send, you can send uh, USDC someone else in Argentina in a couple of seconds, yeah. I think people don't realize how beautiful of a thing that is, that you've, like, yeah. it's, it's really, um, and to some extent, that world is kind of coming back a little bit, where different countries are saying what money or what you could do business with this person and that, and it kind of goes back and forth. And like normal citizens have to go and check various lists. Like, can I work with this person? It's just a whole complicated thing. Um, and I think we, we take for granted the, especially in the U S for the ability to like, be able to just send money anywhere and do whatever we want. But like you said, you grew up with, with that inability. And so now you're yeah. coming here looking in from, from that angle. It's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. You don't understand the value of freedom if you have it. You do understand it when you don't have it. So you can say that again. Yeah. Uh, you can expand <laughs> on that. Yeah. And it's just, um, yeah, and it's just so powerful, like ingrained in what we do. Yeah. Some of the biggest things I hear from people that are not in our industry, they tell me, Charlie, like crypto is fun and it's great. Bitcoin is fun and it's great. But until I have to use it, I'm just not going to learn or figure out how to use it. I'm still going to use the apps that I use today. So we have to continue building out consumer use cases. We have to build out applications and products for the whole world. Are, you, are we there yet? Are you investing? Are you seeing products that when they launch, you're going to say, wow, this is just going to blow people's heads off. They're going to not want to do it how they were doing it before. Yeah, I think... Um... We are getting there as an industry. And my feedback to us as crypto native people would be, we kind of really like to be complicated. Yeah? We kind of like, even like read crypto Twitter. Yeah? It's like continuous competition of like who is smarter. But I don't think, I don't think complexity is helping us because then we need traditional world. You know, we need trillions of dollars which are today invested in other assets to also be invested in our industry. But the traditional investors, they will not invest unless they understand our world. Yeah? We have around 52 investors currently. Most of them are from traditional financial world. And we spend a lot of time explaining them use cases. And if we are not able to demonstrate to them clear value, they will not invest. And I think as an industry, we have to get better at that. So, and to answer your question, like a couple of use cases which really work are, for example, fun tokens, yeah? If you look at CryptoSlam, fun tokens for us crypto people, you know, we don't really care about these use cases, but it's actually very interesting, like 7 billion 30-day trading volume on fun tokens versus, you know, I don't know, 500 million on NFTs. It's like 10x bigger in terms of trendy trading volume. And it's really used mostly for like football clubs or, or um, you know, Formula One teams like F1 Alpine team is now, you know, quite successful with their F1 token, the, the fan token. And that's a real use case. Yeah? And, and traditional people I speak to, they would like to use it for loyalty programs. Loyalty programs are a big problem today. Like every company has a different system. It's difficult. People don't carry those cards, you know. If we had it like on our phones with the wallet, it could be much easier. Yeah. So that's and and there the usability is paramount. But we are seeing, you know, 
these projects to simplifying the, the interfaces. Definitely. Stepin also, you know, such a simple interface, although it could be simpler. Yeah, um, Stepin, Helium, things like yeah. that involved hardware. Helium, and... yeah. Helium, HiveMapper. Uh, even some games, I think, are now simple enough. Yeah, Mini Royale, you don't even know, you know, there is like crypto in the background um, and NFT, so very easy. Angry Dynamite's lab, which we, we just invested into, also simple to use games. So I think we are getting there. But still, using crypto today is like prehistoric. You still yeah. have to kind of like go upstairs, plug your USB dongle or you know your your <laughs> your hardware wallet. It's like it has to get simpler, and number two, it has to get mobile. Ah, oh, there's two questions. There's two things we can unpack there. Like right now, it it all comes down to a browser widget or like a browser extension. Everything yeah. we do in crypto operates over like whether it's like metamask or you know insert blockchain here signer so you know like cosmos signer casper signer whatever like or you have like lightning connect so it's all coming down to this extension is the future yeah. of web3 the freaking extension or are we gonna have what's the next i think it's i think it's mobile wallets but much yeah. easier to use than today like Today, if I want to use OpenSea from MetaMask, I open MetaMask, I have to go to like a special tag, which is browser. I go to that browser to OpenSea, and then it's like even kind of difficult to search there. I think the future is in mobile. And we just have, you know, more work to do to get there. I feel like in crypto right now, we are really, really in like 1990s. I did my high school in the U.S., in Lewisburg, Lewisburg area high school in Pennsylvania. Oh, my! you went to Lewisburg high school? Yeah, senior year. <laughs> do, you, do you know my story in Bitcoin and crypto? Like, my no. whole, do you know the whole, my whole backstory? Uh, I always assume, but I've been involved in in Bitcoin a long time. I had the first Bitcoin startup, BitInstant, and I started the Bitcoin Foundation back in in 2011. Uh -huh. um, but I went to prison for a year and a half uh, for for not having a, a an unlicensed money transmitting business. Which was at the time this was like pre Bitcoin, uh, uh, pre Coinbase, pre everything like that. Um, was one of the first people in the whole Bitcoin space. So I've been podcasting forever, but um, I went to prison uh, in Lewisburg. <laughs> oh yeah, that is a big prison. I was That's actually I, I visited it every visited. every every third Sunday was the big Bitcoin meetup in the prison visiting room. Yeah, yeah. I visited that prison because I was I was young back when I was in Louisburg High School and I stayed with American family. And the father of that family was actually helping prisoners to get real life. So went there, brought them books, talked them about the outside world, and I visited a couple of times the penitentiary with him. That's, that's a beautiful how, how thing. Yeah. yeah, it's a small world that all comes back. But yeah, that yeah. you talked about freedom. I was twenty it's nothing compared to you or what some other people have have had to dealt with in their lives. I had a little, only a little bit of a small slice, very, very, very small slice of losing my freedom. Very small mm. slice. But nonetheless, I lost it for a year and a half. And I was 23 uh, years old. And uh, so two years for a 23-year-old, I mean, that's like 10% of my life at that point. So I had a huge yeah. impact. Time is very relative. And... Uh, yeah. I'll never take my freedom for granted ever again. And you're right. I think, and this is not like a personal attack against anyone specifically. I really do fundamentally believe 
that if you never lost your freedom or your liberty, you don't understand what it's like. Because when you do, there's no one to appeal to. There's no yeah. court of the world that you can yeah. go to. There's no one else. Like, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like air. Yeah. yeah, you don't appreciate it unless you don't have it. Or like the internet, yeah? Like sometimes you travel to these emerging countries or this year I went to Burning Man, you know, like this festival oh, nice. in yeah. Nevada. Yeah. And like some of the RVs there, they had like internet access and people were kind of like regrouping around those RVs to get internet. So I know I keep also, seeing yeah. I keep seeing that people are like it's funny because Burning Man got uh, it got so like it used to be the reason it was so great and it probably still is but the reason people enjoyed it so much was because this is what my friends tell me because I haven't been is that it required so much logistical work to get there yeah. and to be comfortable and yeah. so you had an assumption that you A, were not going to be comfortable it was going to be difficult it's going to be dusty but somehow you're going to have this amazing experience out of it. But because it became so comfortable and easy, you could phone call. Obviously, you need money. You make a phone call, $20,000 later, you give them your credit card number. You just got to show up. It, it doesn't make the experience probably as good. And again, I'm probably going to get some emails now from some people saying, I went to Burning Man and it was amazing. You know? <laughs> no, so it's sorry. still great. It's still great, anyone. but I think you have to abide to the values, which include yeah. like, radical self-reliance and doing the things yourself versus just uh, but i heard some like full service camps were banned especially, especially this year and two years ago like Bumano, for example so um so i think the burning man organization wants to bring back this like initial culture yeah um which i think is a good thing Hey guys, I want to take a second and talk to you about our newest sponsor, angelblock.io. It's about that time in the bear market that we actually have to take a look at which projects have taken the do's and the don'ts from all the previous waves, bull and bear markets that we've had and built out real decentralized projects that are going to be successful and take this blockchain and crypto world that we're into the next level. Traditional fundraising is very clunky and traditional investing in crypto is very clunky as well. I know I'm a VC at Drew Adventures. AngelBlock is really, really cool. And it's a new DeFi protocol that's solving not only the issues of fundraising for digital assets, but more compliance, transparency, real decentralization. They have on-chain governance, staking, lending, secondary marketplaces for the trading of tokens, all these different ways that you can actually interact with the startup and the token and the project that you're actually investing in. There's a whole community here. AngelBlock is that new compliant platform that's safe and easy to use in order to weed out all the scams. It's so cool. It's built on top of Ethereum, but it's multi-chain by design. <clears throat> They'll also be involved in the mentoring process. There's a phenomenal community that AngelBlock has built. It doesn't cost anything. Go check out the community. Go to their website, angelblock.io. Sign up to their email to stay up to date. You'll have a chance to win some really cool AngelBlock NFTs. And this is only for Untold Stories listeners. Thank you, guys. That, the, uh, the founder of Burning Man, Michael, I think his name was Michael Michaels. He may have passed away. He was in sitting one of I gave a, a speech about Bitcoin one time like eight years ago and he was sitting in the front seat with this big hat and I couldn't see over anyone else 
And I remember yeah. saying to my friend, who is that dude with the big hat that I couldn't see over? And my friend was like, actually, the other guy in the panel with me was um, was um, my good friend. I'm freaking forgetting his name. Why am Bill from Abra, the co-founder of Abra. Uh, he goes, yeah, that's Michael Michaels, the founder of Burning Man right there. It was crazy. Uh, so I, I just Googled it. Larry Harvey and Jerry James. The builders yeah, of Larry, the Larry Harvey, not Michael Michaels. I knew it yeah. was two first names. Yeah, yeah. That's Larry Harvey and it. Terry James. Yeah. Um, Larry Harvey passed away. It's what a sad story. Yeah. Um, I had a guest on the show a few weeks ago and we talked about yield. So a big thing with DeFi in in those, you know, those early uh like a few a few months ago or like a year ago, yield was a huge driver uh for like the world to come into our space. Uh, people were chasing seven to nine percent, and that was normal. But then people started chasing these like 12% plus yields. And a lot of those yields were backed up. Excuse me. A lot of those crazy yields were just backed up by like inflationary tokens, which yeah. once they started to go down in value, the uh those yields couldn't be made. We saw bankruptcies. We saw collapsing Three Arrows Capital, Terra Luna, Voyager Celsius. There's like a list of 50, 15, 20 companies that have collapsed. And I personally have money lost in one of them. Uh, do you think yield is going to come back? Now, especially that the fact that I can go to my bank and get 4% safely, and I can go to the Federal Reserve and get 45 5%, is yield going to be the killer app for crypto? Like, what's this going to look like? Are you, are if you if, if a company comes to you right now and says, Victor, like, we're going to do yield and blockchain, are you, like, shying away? Are you interested? Yeah. So um, that's a very good question because we have a yield product. It's a fully regulated hedge fund structure based in Liechtenstein. We started to create it for our investors back in the summer of 2021 because there were no yields in the traditional world but in crypto we were getting easily you know 20 percent plus it took us nine months to create that fund and again the timing couldn't be worse because we launched in april sure. this year and and may everything went down yeah so so right now the yields on DeFi is like what Ave, i i see it here yeah Ave to 0.25 percent on usdc compound 0.95 Curve on Frax USDC 1.84%. Yeah. But you know, on like fixed income products, low risk government bonds, you get like 4%. So of course, it's not competitive at all. So what do we do currently in our in our yield hedge fund is that we lend out to market makers because liquidity, because of the crash, was just flushed out of the of the market. Yeah. Now the lenders are often you know, out of business or they have no cash to lend out. But the trading volume is still around like 1 trillion spot per month or 2 trillion in derivatives. So there is trading volume. So market makers, they do need capital in order to leverage themselves. And you know, they are able to you know, pay interesting yields, you know, 10, 12, 13, 15%. So that's where we, where we are helping. You can also provide loans to, you know, some um, centralized uh, exchanges like Bitfinex, for example. They have a they have a real time market for loans yeah. for their traders. 
you can actually help traders to um, to trade more efficiently. That's where we see opportunities today. This was so the like course, original, yeah. Yeah. The original like early days crypto trading like Bitcoin, being able to provide the other side. It was like the whole the whole thing here. But what about yield? Um, of like tokenizing an already like illiquid asset. So for example, tokenizing like car loans. So for example, or real estate, yeah. Yeah, real, real estate is, is happening yeah. kind of on its yeah. own. But I'm I talking about Credix, yeah. Yeah, Credix is doing a good job. Uh they are doing car loans, I think, in Brazil, South America. So uh, but you know, you see also good companies like Centrifuge, Maple, Clearpool. I think I see the future there. Yeah. So just making the access much easier. Again, it's about removing the intermediary yeah? so that you know you can invest into these products with um, smaller initial investment. It's exactly the same value proposition as KKR used when they tokenized their healthcare fund, private equity oh, fund on securitized. Point. Yeah. You know, normally they have $1 million initial ticket, like minimum ticket to invest into their fund. Through a security token, they were able to reduce it to 100K. Do you, what about you personally? Do you think you'll jump back to the entrepreneur side of things ever? I feel like I'm an entrepreneur because like, you know, we created the VC fund, we created the hedge fund, we created the engineering team running the staking validations, validators, we created the labs, we also did the JV with Aki, it's like a team out of uh, the Czech Technical University here now doing smart contract audits. That's why I like crypto because it's so early, so actually you are like entrepreneur all the time. And we have like so many ideas of things we could do, like, you know, a web three development studio for fun tokens, I think helping brands to engage directly with their with their consumers. Uh, you could, you know, even on the staking side, there are so many improvements which could be done. I think we could talk about about this for 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 like hours, yeah, but I think right? I think in the future the power goes to the stakers and the validators just have to be very efficient and appeal to stakers to get their stakes. And I think it's not done correctly today because it's either static, you go on like some validator page, like staking rewards and you choose a validator. Yeah. Or it's dynamic through liquid staking like Lido, but they, it's permission. So they have 20 validators who they approved and they only allocate your stake one over 20. So every validator gets like, you know, 5% of the stake you are giving to Lido. And I don't think it's fair. I think in the future, we should have like a, dynamic liquid staking system which dynamically allocates to validators who need most your stake because either they are most contributing to decentralization so they are in a country where you need blockchain to be better covered or they use an internet service provider which helps decentralization or they have a good validator behavior which means you know they are not being slashed often they have a low commission or they are not doing malicious MEV. And we dream about the system, like a liquid staking system. We actually have a white paper already written for it. You give it your stake, like let's say, I don't know, 10,000 souls, and it automatically distributes these 10,000 souls through on those validators who, who deserve it most. 
And yeah. every epoch, it updates it. It's interesting because you mentioned that decentralization being like an economic lever here. And so mm. that makes me happy because that's why I got into this space. So you really think that liquid staking and situations like this will favor people who are in like geographically better covered for decentralization than like, for example, a node or a validator in a geographic place where they're worried about like the regulatory hammer coming down or a dictatorship yeah. or something like that? Yes, I think so. And ah. look at look at a website called observatory.zone. Yeah, we programmed it. Observatory. Say it again, what's the website? Observatory.zone. I think you Okay, should. yeah. Oh, look at this. Yeah. You have all the different blockchains. Yeah, yeah, these are all Cosmos, yeah? It currently runs on Cosmos. You click any blockchain on Cosmos and you can see actually the KPIs in terms of the centralization. So on how many validators do you have the stake? I click Agoric, for example, yeah? On how many validators oh, this you, is so have, cool. you have, you know, more than like 33.33% of the network concentrated, which means it's like a validator concentration issue or what we call Nakamoto coefficient in how many countries. And you can see that actually Agoric is very much concentrated in two countries and it's Finland and Germany. And if one of those countries were, you know, to ban, just like China did, you know, staking, then it would be a problem for the chain, yeah? And definitely it would be if both countries did it. Then you get also ISP, so Internet Service Provider Concentration. And here you can see that Agoric is running 32% of the network on Hetzner Online. Hetzner is a German Internet Service Provider. And if you read their terms of service, it says do not run staking or mining operations. Really? We might stop your server. So everyone who is do doing that is actually like really risking to be sh shut down. And if the if Hetzner did this, you know, Agoric as a network would have a problem. And then you can click, you have details of different validators and every validator, we are already scoring them in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of different uh, criteria like commission rate, missed blocks, self-delegation, um, how much also they contribute to decentralization. And then on top of this, we are planning to build the, the auto automatic liquid staking system, which would allocate your stake to those validators who deserve it most. I am blown away by how much you got, by how much work and, and products and fun you seem to be having doing all this. I'm a little <laughs> bit jealous, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's so cool. But we are a large team, yeah? Like 34 people um, get stuff done. <laughs> I, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time and, and uh, out of your day and coming on Untold Stories today and, and kind of giving us a small window into what you've been working on. I feel like this is one of those episodes where the listeners are just going to be like writing everything down and going back and taking notes because I definitely will. And I appreciate the time today. Victor Fisher, managing partner at Rockaway Blockchain Fund. How can my listeners follow you? How can they continue the conversation? <clears throat> well, just follow me on Twitter. It's at Victor Fisher. I'm not very active on Twitter. Uh, we are most builders, you know, Eastern Europeans, introverted engineers, not very good at doing PR or branding. So just, you know, <laughs> <I love that laughs> or shoot me an email to victor at rbf.capital. <laughs> okay, awesome. Victor, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Charlie. Have a great day.